morning. It's great to be with you. I know that you guys are excited to have Jeff back next week. So uh, he said he would be in the office tomorrow. And so I said, well, I will try my best to give you some good email fodder. So uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see what we can do. Um, Book of Ecclesiastes, if you would turn there. Uh, that's in the Old Testament. You've got Psalms, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes. It's kind of in the middle of the Bible. Um, and uh, we're going to be walking through uh, a few verses in chapter 3 this morning. A restoration we've been walking through Ecclesiastes this summer. And on the surface, it's a very hard book. Uh, Solomon, who wrote Ecclesiastes, is the son of King David. So he took the throne from King David. We know him uh, as, as uh, the wisest man of his time. Remember, uh, God came to him and said, you know, you can have anything you want. Ask for whatever you want and I'll give it to you. And Solomon asked for wisdom. And so not only did he give him wisdom, he gave him riches, power, ton of women. And, and uh, so Ecclesiastes 1, he opens the whole book with, with using this term. The Hebrew term is hebel, and it means meaningless. And he says, everything is meaningless. And he goes through all of chapter 1, and he, he uses this term, under the sun. And as he uses the term under the sun, under the sun very simply means uh, our life span on earth. So imagine this morning, you're going to live 70, 80, 90 years um, in this time that you're on earth, under the sun is your toil, the things that you do on earth devoid of God. So just you living your life every day, this is what he's talking about, this whole idea of under the sun. And he says everything under the sun is meaningless. He moves into chapter two and, and, he, and he talks about the whole idea. He put himself through kind of the, this, this laboratory of pleasure. And he said, I'm going to do everything under the sun that I can do, all the pleasure I can get. Talks about, you know, of course, he had all of these women, 700 wives, 300 concubines. It's a lot of women. Um, you know, just think about that. That's a lot of women. Okay. And uh, I am a, I'm a uh, husband uh, of a wife, 28 years next month. So that's exciting. And then uh, I've got three daughters. So uh, my, my oldest daughter is 25, 25, 23, 18 ton of estrogen in my house, right? And so I understand this whole idea. I prayed when I was 17, 18, you know, that I would be surrounded by women for the rest of my life. Not at all what I had in mind. Um, but, 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 you know, when I think about, you know, I have my hands full with those five, even have this female dog. I mean, it's just, it's crazy, two-year-old granddaughter. Um, but, but he had 700 wives. That's a lot of women. And, it, and, and he goes to this laboratory of, uh, of, of all the pleasure that he can choke down. It said that he built forests. And uh, of course, we, we're, we're working uh, in the wood forest area. He built his own master plan community, right? He built houses and forests. And he, he got to the end of all this. He looked at all he surveyed in his old age. And he said again, it's all what? Meaningless, hebel, worthless, and so as we move into chapter three this morning, uh, he, he kind of takes this shift of talking about everything that happens under the sun, which is uh, your life apart from God, and he uses the term under the heavens. He shifts his focus to a life under the rule and the reign of God. And so we'll see this this morning. And it makes me think, Jeff told this story years and years and years ago about this interview that took place on the anniversary of D-Day, June 6, 1944, the invasion of Normandy. 
And this interview took place, there were two guys that they interviewed, this soldier on the ground who got off a boat onto this beachhead that morning and a pilot who was flying overhead. And so they're interviewing these two pilots and, and uh, the, the guy that was on the ground talks about the carnage, he talks about the bullets that are flying, good friends of his who were killed. There's body parts everywhere. Think Saving Private Ryan. I mean, it's just brutal. And he said that he's thinking as, as he's trying to, to, to move forward and, and advance against the Germans, he said, I felt like uh, every step we took, there were two steps back. And he said, I just knew we were going to lose. And then it shifts to this pilot who was flying overhead. And he says, as I was watching, I was seeing the advance and the retreat of the Germans. And all I could think was, we're going to win. One battle, two perspectives. And this morning, I want to submit to you that there are two ways to look at life. The, the, the whole idea of living life under the sun, where it's all about you, all about your goodness, all about um, you getting yours, right? So it could be a financial uh, career proposition. It could be your life, your family, your friends, a life under the sun, or a life under heaven, a life where God is preeminent where his kingdom reigns and rules above all things. And this morning, Solomon will give us a different perspective, a perspective where God is in control of everything, including life, death, wealth, poverty, abundance, destitution, joy, sadness, all of it. And encourages us to soak it up and enjoy it because God knows what he's doing. So Ecclesiastes chapter 3 Starting with verse one. It says there is a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens. It says there's a time for everything. What does he mean by that? Everything. Everything. There is a time and a season for everything. He's saying here that, that everything has a purpose in your life, that every event, every season of your life has a uniqueness about all, that it, and it's all working toward an end. And then he uses the, the phrase that changes our perspective. There's a season for everything under the heavens. Remember, he's been very clear up to this point that he's talking about this life under the sun that's devoid of God. And now he's changing course and arguing that there's a bigger picture that we can't see, that, that, that there's a bigger picture than just living life under the sun, just getting by, just existing. And it'll shift our minds toward an eternal perspective and to a God who is ultimately in control and working for our good. So let's unpack that whole idea for a minute. That there is a God that is always working for your good. You see, if you don't understand or if you can't get your mind around the whole idea that God is always good, that his way is always good, that his purposes are always good, that he's always working on your behalf, if you can't get there, then the whole thing kind of falls apart, right? Because if God is only good when things work out in your favor, if God is only good when you get your way, what kind of God is that? 
That is a conditional God. And because we live our lives in this conditional manner, I kind of get it, right? I kind of get that because in my life, I mean, I want to live this agape life, right? Where I live a life of unconditional love. But let me see a show of hands. How many of you would say that you have arrived at that place where you no longer have conditions by which you will love people? Yeah, none of us. That's where we want to be, right? That's where I want to be. I, I want to I live a life of, of unconditional love and, 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 and love without judgment. And yet I know in my life, so many times when things go wrong, the first person I question is God. God, where are you in this? What are you doing? And so if you flip over real quickly to Isaiah chapter 46, I just want to read a couple of verses to you because um, this kind of falls under the heading of God is in control at all times. And in this passage, you know, Isaiah is a prophet. And, and, and in this time, prophets generally come to deliver bad news. Or at least the people that they were speaking to saw it as bad news. Because most of them were, were speaking all the time about uh, how the, the Israelites were going into exile. Turn, 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 turn. And we see this God, and, and, and when, we read the, when we read the Bible, the Old Testament seems like this vengeful God, and yet you think about it, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, God relented and held back his judgment, giving them chance after chance after chance after chance. In Isaiah chapter 46, Isaiah's talking, and, and he's talking about idols, and, and he, he paints this picture of, of idols being made by the hands of men. And he says, will these idols rescue you in your time of need? They're inanimate objects. They can't do anything for you. And if you jump down to verse 8, he says, remember this. Keep it in mind. Take heart, you rebels. Remember the former things, those of long ago. I am God and there is no other. I am God. There is no one like me. I make known the end from the beginning, from ancient times, what is still to come. I say my purpose will stand and I will do all that I please. God is in control and I love that line where he says, I make known the end from the beginning. Take that to your life for a second. Did you know, Ephesians 2.10 talks about it, where it says, we are God's workmanship created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which he prepared in advance for you to do. That before the foundation of the world, God knew you, he created you with purpose, and it says that he has already predetermined the end from the very beginning. There is something that God's doing. But what we'll see this morning is that Solomon is talking about this whole idea of how do we love a God who is always good when things don't go the way we think they should. So back to Ecclesiastes. Verse 2. You're going to recognize these next few verses. The birds made this popular in 1965 in a song. And so that makes it relevant, right? That was only 40 years ago. <laughs> Verse 2. A time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to uproot, a time to kill, and a time to hill, a time to tear down, a time to build, a time to weep, a time to laugh, Time to mourn and a time to dance, 
a time to scatter stones and a time to gather them, a time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing, a time to search and a time to give up, a time to keep and a time to throw away, a time to tear and a time to mend, a time to be silent and a time to speak, a time to love, a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. So this is not an exhaustive list of the seasons of life, but it does paint a picture of several, several different seasons that we're born and we live an average of 70 to 100 years and then we die and in between we plant roots, we move again, we laugh, we cry, we build, we tear down. We have times of peace, times where we're at war, times when we're silent, times when we speak out and all of it represents different seasons of life. And Solomon says that all of it is good. Remember, he said that there's a season for everything under the heavens. And so he says all of it is good. All of it, everything. But again, we want the good, but we'll pass on the hard stuff, right? If you're like me, I want all the good stuff all the time, but I'll pass on the tough stuff. Right, I'm great with birth. I mean, there's nothing better than the birth of a child. And then two years ago, the birth of a grandchild, which says I'm getting old, but it's really cool to, to see life come from really nothing, right? Love birth. I love planting roots. I was talking to Yvonne yesterday that we've, we've been in the woodlands now for 21 years and it's officially our home, right? I mean, we've, we've been here for most of our marriage for 21 of our 28 years. This is home. Roots are planted and that's really good. And for those of you who, who move a lot because of your job, there's nothing harder than transition, right? And I love to plant roots. I love gathering stuff. I love embracing. I'm a hugger. Right? So, I mean, you can be sure if you come up this morning to shake my hand, I'm going to invade that space and I'm going to go in for the awkward hug. Right? And your hand's going to be stuck in the middle of us and, and then I'm just going to hold on. Right? Might even put a leg up or something. You know, they just, I just, I, I love to hug. I love to embrace. I love mending. I love loving. I love speaking out. I've got an opinion about everything, right? But, but, but I don't enjoy death. I don't enjoy moving on. I don't enjoy scattering. I hate emotional distance. I don't enjoy tearing down, hating, hate to be silent. But here's the question. Could it be that all the things that I don't enjoy are the very things that are part of God's plan to develop me into something more? Could it be that this morning, as you look through this list and you think about your life and some of you have been through a very hard season and you're coming out of it, some of you are in the middle of a very hard season and if you're neither one of those, man, just take heart because trouble's coming. Right, it's a part of life and could it be that God uses the hard things in our life to bring about something incredible? The half-brother of Jesus, James, in his book, in, in chapter one, verses two through four, he paints a picture of this, where he says, consider joy, brothers and sisters, when you encounter trials of various kinds, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance, and perseverance must have its perfect work so that you will be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. 
Now, this passage blows my mind. Because he doesn't say, hey, if tough times come, just kind of hold on. He doesn't say, man, just, just endure them. It's, it's going to be really hard, but you're going to be okay. No, he says take joy in it. So let me ask you a question. When's the last time that you're driving down 45 and you have a blowout and you pull over and you're in one of those little bitty shoulders, you know, where cars are whizzing by and you get out and you're just trying to keep from getting run over and you're like, woohoo, thank you, Jesus. When's the last time in the middle of a fight with your spouse, you just stopped and said, God, you are so good. Woo! When's the last time you walked into your boss's office and he says, hey, we're docking your pay. And you're like, yes, Lord. Yes, you are. See, it's super counterintuitive, right? We, we don't think about the, the, the hard things in life and bring ourselves to a point where we're like, God, you got it on lockdown. I'm all good. And yet, James says, consider it joy. Joy. When you encounter trials of various kinds, when the, when the stuff comes, when, when it all hits the fan, man, the goal is for us to raise our hands and to say, thank you, Jesus. Why? Because the testing of our faith produces perseverance. And when we persevere, when we hang on during the hard times, it says that God is working toward an end and the end is good. Maturity and completeness lacking in nothing. What does that say to us this morning? It says that there is a recipe for life. For your life, there is a recipe that is complete. And part of the recipe involves hard things, suffering. So about three weeks ago, Saturday morning, Yvonne and I have a casual morning. We're laying in bed. We're both reading a book. And our 18-year-old daughter comes downstairs. She comes and, and just plots herself down on the bed and just lays there. She never says good morning. She just pops down and she's laying there and she's quiet. And so we don't really say anything. We just keep reading. And about a minute later, she just kind of pops her head up and she says, I want French toast. All right, there's an IHOP right down the street. Knock yourself out. You know, I mean, we're, and, and so um, Yvonne does the smart thing. She just continues to read and just kind of ignores it. And so I'm looking at, at Abby, and she looks back at me, and we're just in this staring contest. And I said, well, I guess I could make French toast. And she goes, cool. So now I go and I do this not ever having made French toast before. And so I just Googled a recipe, the first one that pops up, I'm like, that looks good. So um, I, I go and I, I pull out my phone and I set it there and I begin to grab the ingredients. So it, it's, it's a few eggs, I think it was four eggs, some vanilla, some cinnamon, some nutmeg, some sugar. And then the most important ingredient is it says, take out a pan and put four tablespoons of butter in it. Right? So I put six because everything's better with butter, right? And so, so now there's this butter, you know, it's starting to simmer. And so what I did this particular morning is I wanted to taste every ingredient as I was putting it in. So let me ask you a question. Have you ever tasted nutmeg by itself? It's not good at all. 
right? So I taste it, I'm like, wow, that's horrible. So I put that in. I had cinnamon toast growing up as a kid. And so I, I'd put a little cinnamon on, 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 on my uh, finger and I'd lick my tongue, you know, and I'm like, uh, wow, that's horrible. And so I'm putting all this stuff in, you know, I, you know, I drank an egg and, and, I, and, I, and I, I'm just, I, I'm, I, I'm thinking all of these ingredients by themselves are horrible. But I mix it all up and it says, you know, now dip bread in the batter and get it on both sides and put it in and, and, and you know, uh, in the butter and you, you do a little on one side, uh, the other side. And when I pulled it up, it was golden brown. And I'm like, this actually looks pretty good. And so I gave the first batch to Abby just in case it wasn't going to work out. And, and um, she sits over and she pours, you know, syrup on a little powdered sugar. And all she said was, dad, this is great. And so I'm like, well, I gotta have me some. And so I, so I, I, I mix up and I eat it. And, and as I'm eating it, all I can think is all of these ingredients by themselves were horrible. But together, they make something incredible. And what I submit to you this morning are, are the seasons of life. You may be in the toughest season of your life right now. And, 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 and James says, and Solomon is saying it, that if we will just hang on, he's got something incredible for you. And so many of us, because the ingredient tastes bad, because it doesn't work for us, we're checking out and we're assigning blame to God instead of blessing And there's something that God wants to do. And it's good. So good. And it's super difficult to look at death, sickness, divorce, the tough things in life, and declare it a good ingredient. But God is a master chef, and he's creating something great, working it all together to create something beautiful. Look at verse 9. What do workers gain from their toil? I've seen the burden God has laid on the human race. And so he's saying, man, life's hard. Life is hard. He says, I'm looking around and I'm seeing, man, life is just tough. And if you've lived life very long, you know that that's true. And if you've embraced a theology that in Jesus, times are no longer hard, then you have missed the essence of the gospel. Jesus said it himself in John 16, In this life, you will have what? Trouble. Life is hard, but God is always good, always good. In verse 11, he says, he has made everything beautiful in its time. You see, you on your worst day is a part of something that God is making beautiful. You in your worst moment you and your biggest failure, you and your biggest moment of need. God is working. He's working for something good. Man, this is in my, in my notes, but let me just be vulnerable with you. This morning we're in worship and I'm sitting right here on the front row. And for a split second, I, have a, I had a memory of December 12th. 2010, and I stood right here in this spot on the stage in a very, very difficult season of my life. When I was saying goodbye to a job that I loved, really uh, being separated from a spiritual father and mentor, and it was so hard. 
and, and some of you were there that day, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and, and I, I look at it and I think, man, this was so hard, so hard. Self-inflicted pain that brought me to a point where I was no longer welcome in the place that I was such an integral part of building. And it, it was over, just like that. And you see, in those moments, we have choices to make. And the choice is, will I live a life under the sun that's all about me? Will I, will I shift my focus to survival? Will I shift my focus to, okay, so I got to make something else happen. This, this thing's over. I got to start looking over here. Or will we bow our knee to the God of the universe, the one who brings the kingdom into every situation? And I, I am so grateful that God in his grace showed me himself and showed me who I was and in so many ways showed me my future and allowed me to bow my knee. And I'll tell you today, man, restoration, we're three and a half years old. Restoration is my story. It's my story. The church that fired me hired me to plant a church. Who does that, Right? And I'll tell you today, it's, it's, it's not about me. It's not about anything I've done. And I'm watching God do this incredible work up in the Wood Forest area. And every day I wake up and I'm like, God, when, when's the real leader coming in to take this over? <laughs> and yet God is doing something incredible. And it all started with a yes. Yes, God, there's something you're doing. And I will consider it joy. Because I know that this is part of the recipe something great. The second part of verse 11 is my favorite part of this passage. He's made everything beautiful in its time. He's also set eternity in the human heart. He set eternity in the human heart. You see, we were created for an eternal perspective. We were created for something bigger. He added all things unclear. What's he saying here? Well, this is a precursor to the gospel, right? This is an allusion to Jesus. So if you remember in John chapter one, it says in the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. He was with God in the beginning. This word, word is Greek, and the Greek word is logos. But here's the beautiful thing about that word logos. It doesn't just mean word. It means the thing that gives the ultimate meaning to life. And if you look in John chapter 1, it's not until verse 17 that there's this great reveal that, that we find out that the word logos, the thing that gives the ultimate meaning to life, is Jesus and so when we look at this, he has set eternity in the human heart. Here's the thing, Jesus, Logos, the thing that gives all meaning to life, we all have this Jesus-shaped hole in our hearts that only he can fill. And, and remember, Solomon is speaking pre-Jesus, right? Pre-Holy Spirit, he's speaking of this God-shaped hole in our heart, but the God-shaped hole in every human heart looks like Jesus, and only he can fill it up. 
And so if this morning you are searching, you're trying to figure it all out, um, you're, you're looking at, at life and maybe you have this under the sun mentality that you've just got to figure out your next step, your next play, know this, your plan doesn't work. Your plan will ultimately fail. And for some of you, that's hard to hear because you're really bright people. Right, we have the brightest of the bright in this community, but know this, apart from Jesus, your way will fail every time. But he has set eternity in your heart. And if you are searching this morning for what your next move is, here would be your best next move. Consider Jesus. He is the thing that gives the ultimate meaning in life. Apart from him, you can do nothing. We've been invited by God to have his eyes, his heart, to live for another kingdom, not the kingdom of the world, not the kingdom of self, but the kingdom of God. And we have his perspective. We see that all things are beautifully being worked for something eternal in my life. Your job loss, your divorce, your financial ruin, all of it is woven together to make something beautiful if you let it. Why? Because he set eternity in your heart. He ends this section, verse 14, this is where we'll end today. It says, I know that everything God does will endure forever. Nothing can be added to it and nothing taken from it. God does it so that people will fear him. Here's the deal, God has your life on lockdown. Everything, nothing can be added to it or taken away from it, why? Because he's God and you're not. And he's got a plan. He knows what he's doing and it's good. So three things I want you to consider as we close today. Number one, God is ultimately in control. God is in control. While we tend to operate under this assumption of control, under the sun, God is ultimately in control and he's working a plan for our good and for his glory. And know this, while he does as he pleases, Isaiah 46, 10, I do as I please, just know what ultimately pleases him is you. And that's number two. God makes all things beautiful. See, when God thinks about you, he doesn't look at the part, but the whole. And know this, God is crazy about you. He is not mad at you. He is not disappointed in you. He's not ashamed of you. Maybe you've wandered around outside your Canaan for years and years and years, and you've never walked in to the promised land that God has for you. Know this, it's still sitting right there for you. God's best has not passed you by. God, God does not look at you and go, eh. No. God is passionately crazy about you and he makes all things beautiful. His plan is good. Philippians 1.6 says it, doesn't it? When it says that, that everything, everything he is doing, being confident of this, that he who began a good work will be faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. He's always working. So he makes all things beautiful. And then number three, God has set eternity in your heart. Your life will make sense when you receive logos. 
Jesus, the thing that makes life make sense. And so this morning, my prayer for you is that you will not exist one more moment living life under the sun, living life for yourself, trying to figure it all out, but you would receive logos, the thing that gives all meaning to life. And, and even more than that, you would begin to live a life under the heavens, knowing that God is in control regardless of your circumstance. And you would be able to lift your voice to him and say, thank you for my beautiful existence. Thank you that you love me. Thank you that you're crazy about me. And Jesus, I submit my will to you. I submit my life to you in the good and in the bad because whatever you're doing, it is good. And so Jesus, that is my prayer this morning. My prayer this morning is that each of us would embrace you. For some, that is so hard this morning because of circumstances. And maybe this morning, maybe, maybe this entire time, your heart's been beating fast. Maybe you've been arguing in your head because you're operating out of a lot of hurt. Maybe there's a lie that you're believing about God, that he has forgotten you, that he's mad at you. This morning, in the name of Jesus, I command the enemy to be silent. You have nothing of value to say here. We only want to hear from the uncreated. Father, Son, Spirit. Would you speak this morning to every heart? This morning, some of you for the very first time need to embrace Logos. need to embrace the Jesus who will fill the whole, will fill the longing of your heart. It's a very simple process. It's really just saying, yes, Jesus, my life doesn't work. I need your life. So I exchange my life for your life. I take on your life and I ask you to lead me into a new reality. If you prayed that or something like that immediately, Jesus is on the inside of you to lead your life, to lead you into a new reality. For the rest of us, would we not live one more day in a sleepy reality of who God is? Would we not allow the enemy for one more day to make us shrink back? Would we be like the pilot that, that is soaring over at 30,000 feet and would we see we win? And stop retreating. And start living in joy in spite of our circumstances. This morning as we respond, we respond by taking these elements that represent the body and blood of Jesus. And so uh, the body of Christ was, was broken for you so you could be made whole. His blood was shed for you so that you could be filled. And so every time we take these elements, we take them to remember Logos. 
And maybe this morning, all over the room, up here in front, the aisle in the center, there are communion elements in the back as well. As you take it this morning, take it with your family. Maybe you pray together. If you're in a hard season of life, maybe this is a renewal that you will seek the goodness of God no matter what. That you will renew yourself to say, God, maybe I've checked out on you a little and I've, I have accepted defeat. And this morning he would say back to you, it's time to re-engage. So take communion together this morning, remembering Jesus, Logos, the one who gives meaning to life. So let's, let's stand together, let's move about the room, take communion, then come back together and we'll sing one more song before we leave today.